Welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is a podcast about addictions, mental health, and unresolved trauma. Do you want to feel less alone and more supported on the addiction journey you never thought you would be on? Do you find yourself asking questions such as, how can I help my loved one overcome their addiction? And am I doing enough? Do you wake up afraid that today will be the day your loved one overdoses and passes away? Hey, I'm Tiffany. I too felt helpless and wished that I could do more to help my brother who was struggling with addiction and mental health. I wanted him to find the help he needed and turn his life around, but I kept telling myself, it's too hard to beat this, there are not enough resources, and I'm not a professional, so what else can I do? I felt alone until I found hope through community, and I want to help you do the same. In this podcast, you will find community, hope, and resources to support your loved one through their addiction, and most importantly, support you. So grab a seat, get your earbuds in, and let's take this hard, beautiful journey together. Hey there, thank you for being here for this episode of Hard Beautiful Journey. As always, I am super grateful that you are here and listening to the podcast. Today, we are talking about a topic of addiction that we haven't touched on yet. So I'm really looking forward to exploring this as I know it is an addiction that deserves just as much awareness as any other. The topic today is porn addiction, and I couldn't think of a better guest to start this conversation with than Jeremy Lipkowitz. Jeremy is a mindfulness and emotional intelligence facilitator and porn addiction recovery coach for men. Jeremy overcame his own addiction to pornography in his early 20s with the help of mindfulness meditation and Buddhist philosophy, which not only helped him let go of his destructive behaviors, it also allowed him to connect with deeper meaning and purpose in his life. For the past 11 years, Jeremy has been teaching mindfulness and emotional intelligence practices at universities, recovery centers, and companies throughout Europe, Asia, and the U.S., He has been featured in places like Men's Health and Live Strong Magazine for his work in helping people overcome compulsive behaviors and addictions. So without further ado, let's get to this interview with Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I am really happy you're here today. Thank you so much for coming onto my podcast to talk about your journey with addiction and specifically porn addiction is what we're going to talk about today. As with most addictions, there is definitely stigma, stigmas attached to it. Am I right? Mm -hmm. This is definitely one that has a stigma attached to it as well. This one has no exception. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about your experience and what you know to be true for this um, area of addictions and how you're now taking your journey through this and helping mm-hmm. other people and specifically men that mm-hmm. may be dealing with the same struggles. And there are quite a few of them that are dealing with this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a much bigger problem than we realize. So Jeremy, let's start with your story and how you got to talking with me today on my podcast about this subject. Yeah, so my story 
you know, to kind of just dive straight into the deep end, porn addiction was something that I got introduced, or I guess porn and any sort of porn, pornographic material is something I got introduced to at a very young age. And it started with very uh, kind of innocent types mm -hmm. of pornography or just pornographic things for me as a young boy. So comic books where I was looking at the attractive women, lingerie catalogs, um, things that are quite harmless, but it over time grew into more and more of an obsession. So as I got to high school and then got to college and there was more availability, more stuff that I could access online with high-speed internet, mm -hmm. it started growing into more and more of an addiction. Uh, and it's very interesting because when it's something that's with you from a very young age, you don't realize yourself becoming addicted to it. It's just something that's been a part of your life from such an early age that you don't realize that anything is off or strange or mm -hmm. out of whack. Can I ask Until, you what, yeah. sorry, what age were you when it, when you started to um, look at this stuff or notice that yeah. it was different? I mean, I think like all young boys, maybe not all, but you know, our sexual drive starts, you know, we start getting interested in the female body at a young age. And, and so I think I must've been maybe seven or eight years old when I started noticing that there was a difference between the, you know, the male and female superheroes and that mm -hmm. some of the female superheroes that I was looking at in these comic books had bodies that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, it starts from a very natural, you know, one of the things I really like to talk about with porn addiction and people struggling with porn addiction is to really normalize your sexuality mm -hmm. and know that it's okay to have desires, to be attracted to have sexual feelings. Mm -hmm. It's when it gets out of control that it's a problem. Um, but for me, it did start at that early age, maybe seven or eight years old, and then starting to look at lingerie catalogs and slowly starting to get access to photos on the internet and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And how did it go from there? What, what um, did you find yourself involved in in the teenage years? Yeah. So when I started getting into high school, that's when I, I really noticed myself using the internet in a way that I was ashamed of. And so I would hide it from my family. You know, I would log on at midnight or one in the morning in the computer that was in the living room and just hope that nobody would come out. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at pornographic material, um, it started with just, you know, women in bikinis and lingerie, this stuff. But then over time, especially as I got into college, it started getting more extreme into hardcore pornography. I feel quite lucky that I never got into anything that was way out of line with my values or morals. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was never to a place where I was getting into things that were dangerous or illegal, but I was noticing my, especially by the time I got to college, that I was getting so perfectionistic because porn paints such an unreal picture of what women's bodies should look like an unreal picture of what sexuality and intimacy is all about. Mm -hmm. And so I was warping my brain in a way that was unhealthy in the way that when I was having sexual experiences, uh, you know, I just, I wasn't really able to be there in a full way. And it mm -hmm. was affecting my ability to be content with my partners and be happy and um, all the ways that it, the kind of the minor ways that it affects your life. It's mm -hmm. hard to take joy and simple pleasures because you're just so overloaded with dopamine. You're mm -hmm. constantly sitting there and pushing the dopamine. So I noticed the effect it was having on me. And 
by the time I got to college, that's when I hit this point where I realized something had to change. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was a very, very kind of moment that's etched into my memory. I was walking down the street and it was a beautiful sunny day. Everything in my life was going well. I was, you know, good grades, good in school, captain of a sports team. And I remember looking at these two girls walking in front of me and I was so filled with lust. I just, I, all I could think about was I was undressing them with my eyes and mm-hmm. just wanted to sleep with them. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized that my mind was so warped by pornography that I was walking around just feeling lust nonstop and that lust itself is an experience of suffering. Mm-hmm. That in that moment of craving something you don't have is a moment where you're not grateful for the things you do have you're not content you're not satisfied you're not thinking how can I help someone you're just filled with this feeling of I need to have that and if I don't have it I can't be happy Mm -hmm. and that moment it triggered something in me because I saw that if I didn't make a change if I didn't do something different then I was going to end up as some 70 year old perverted guy that's trying to pick up girls at college bars and that was a really pivotal moment for me because it really showed me that the path that I was headed on was not a path that I wanted Mm -hmm. and that's when everything started to change that's when I really got interested in okay I need to figure this out I need to understand what I'm doing to my mind what is pornography doing how can I break free from this addiction because at that point it really was an addiction Mm -hmm. like when you say like for uh, an alcoholic or drugs, like a daily or multi-times a day, is that Mm -hmm. the level of addiction that you had? Yeah, it was definitely daily. Mm -hmm. Um, Every night, essentially, I would watch porn for two or three hours. Um, You know, you log, I would go into my room, close the door, lock the door, and then log on and just be browsing. And for people who are not uh, you know, aware of what modern day porn sites are like. If you've ever seen YouTube where there's just these thumbnails of, of videos and you can just scroll and scroll and you know, looking at all these different videos, that's what modern day porn sites are like. And any, you know, in a span of five minutes, you could be seeing hundreds or thousands of different video clips and faces and bodies. And so you're really getting addicted to variety and novelty and that's one of the things you know I was, imagine two or three hours of hardcore internet pornography where you're seeing thousands of different women um, and you become so hyper attuned and so you know so picky so and this is where you kind of you need more and more extreme things to turn you on and this is where some people end up getting into things that are illegal or shocking or out of alignment with their values um, so for me it was you know the daily two or three hours every night and then sometimes it'd be multiple times a day mm-hmm. you know there were times where I was just needed an escape I needed to numb out and it's a because an addiction is a way of it's a coping mechanism it's an escape mechanism and so if anything happened you know just go watch porn and so it'd be some multiple times a day some days but definitely every day for a few hours So how did you, what steps did you take? Like, again, back to other types of addictions like alcohol, drugs, there's, there's a rehab process, uh, how to remove yourself from that situation. How do you do that in this situation with porn? Yeah, I, 
the situation that I was in, I didn't have access to any support groups and I didn't know, I think part of it is I didn't even know that anybody else struggled with it because it's, again, it's not something you hear a lot about, especially this was 15 years ago. Um, so it was a long time ago and you didn't hear about porn addiction. You didn't hear that it was a thing people struggled with. And so when I realized that I was struggling with it, I really thought I was alone. I thought I was free. Truly alone. I thought I was a, yeah, <laughs> I thought I was a pervert. Um, I kind of had some sense that maybe other people were like me, but it was definitely nothing where I felt like I, I knew where to go. And so this, it, it was an unfortunate thing. And this is part of the reason I do the work I do today of letting people know they're not alone, letting people know how they can get support and accountability. But for me, what it looked like was really taking ownership of my life, taking responsibility, because in that moment, when I had this, this kind of turning point in my life, I ended up finding this book on meditation. And part of that book had something that was really enlightening for me. And it was about neuroplasticity. And there's this one quote that said that neurons that fire together, wire together. And essentially, I realized that, you know, this is something that the Buddha said 2600 years ago, he said, what you frequently think about and ponder upon becomes the inclination of your mind. And so if you're always thinking kind thoughts, you're strengthening those neural pathways, the neural pathway associated with kindness. For me, I had realized that I was over years, decades of looking at porn every single night, I was strengthening the neural pathways of lust and craving and objectification. And that those pathways in my mind were super highways. And what that showed me is that I need to be the one to change it. You know, it's not about society. It's like, I need to stop doing this behavior that's hardwiring in lust and craving and desire. And the only one who can do that is me. And so that really got me interested in meditation and self-mastery. I ended up being fortunate enough to travel to India and spend quite a lot of time in, in meditation retreats and monasteries, really diving into myself you know, that's not accessible for everyone. And it's not what I recommend um, because there's a, you know, people have families, jobs. There's a lot of reasons why people can't do that. It's what I had to do at the time. And I had to do it without support and accountability, but honestly, it's not the path I would recommend for most people. What would you recommend for people in the same situation that you were in? Yeah. I think the most effective thing that you can do to break free from porn is finding a place where you can be supported and held accountable by other people and where you can show up vulnerably. You know, if you have a group where you can go and you can say, Hey, this is something I struggle with. And even that alone, just being able to express that it's something you struggle with already lessens the shame mm -hmm. because shame is something that keeps a lot of people stuck in that spiral of addiction thinking they're alone, thinking that they're broken. But when you can go to a group of other men and say, hey, guys, I, I'm struggling with this. And they sit there and they just look at you and say, hey, that's okay. We're here for you. Mm -hmm. And you realize you're not a monster. Like that is so healing. That's so, so freeing, that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise you're living in this prison of thinking you're this horrible person. And then when you finally share that secret, you know, the thing you, that feels like you've been locked away in, in your closet, you know, like your skeletons in the closet, 
and then you let it out and you realize, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. I know exactly what you're talking about. And for my loyal listeners, they know about my infertility journey and our infertility journey. And, and it's the same thing. Like you'll, you know, you're not the only one going through it just like porn. You knew you weren't the only one going through it. Like I was literally sitting in waiting rooms with a whole bunch of other people. So I knew (laughs) there was other people doing it or going through it. But in your mind, you're like, no, there is something definitely wrong with me because my body's not doing this. So I obviously am, you know, something's wrong with me and there's a lot of shame in it. And it was when I actually, same thing where I said, I'm okay with sharing this part of my journey and, and actually getting real and vulnerable with it. And that released the shame Mm -hmm. immediately. Once I actually decided to say it out loud and share our story. And honestly, that is not even something on my heart anymore as, as a shame um, piece of my life. It's more, I look at it now as part of my journey and part of the growth. Is that how you feel too? 100%. I mean, it's the reason that I can come on a podcast now and share with the whole world, you know, on my Instagram, my Facebook, everywhere basically talks about how I struggled with porn addiction. And if, if you were to tell me back then that I would be sharing it publicly for the whole world to see and to judge, Mm-hmm. I would have laughed in your face mm-hmm. because the moment from the moment I realized I had an addiction with it to the day that I could tell a single person that I even looked at porn, let alone had an addiction to it was six years. It took me six years to even open up to a single person. Even after I had broken free from the addiction, it took me another five years to even say, Hey, I used to really struggle with this because I was so ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. And now I can talk about it like it's nothing. Maybe not like it's nothing. You know, there's still some hesitation. Sometimes I'm still like, oh, okay, I wonder what this person's going to think. Um, but I'm, it's much easier for me. And there's so much less shame around it. I find the more you even tell the story to multiple people, it also sheds a layer of shame every single time you tell it. Yeah, yeah. And the beautiful thing is it also sheds the shame for other people. And it's one of the reasons I do these things is going on and talking about my porn addiction. I know there are people out there who are going to hear this and say, I had no idea people could, could talk about this, this freely. And that, you know, is inspiring. Are you finding that there are many people who still don't want to talk about this type of addiction and, and just shy away from it? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a sensitive, you know, it's a, not just a shameful topic, it's just sensitive for everyone. You know, even if you have no relationship to porn addiction, most people just don't really want to talk about porn or sex, but porn in particular, it's a sticky subject. It brings up a lot of sensitive issues for people. People don't know if they should support it or be against it, or Mm -hmm. it's one of these things that we just don't talk about almost anywhere. And so, but, but what is, what is us not talking about it leading to let's get to that part mm-hmm. of the dangers of not talking about it yeah. and dealing with it. What are, what are you saying? Yeah, I think 
one of the most important things we can do as a society is just start talking about it because the danger that comes from not talking about it is so great because it increases the shame that people feel, you know, if a young boy is looking at porn and thinks that, you know, he shouldn't be, or that he's wrong for doing it or that he's sinful, you know, it, it just increases the amount of neuroses and shame and addiction in our society. So I, I think we desperately need to be talking about it, particularly since it's not only is it a big problem for many adults, but it's a growing problem for young children. I mean, I'm, I can't imagine what it would be like to have a cell phone with high speed internet access everywhere I go when I was eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. And we know that kids are getting into pornography at younger and younger ages. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not anti-porn in the sense of against it on principle. I think there's nothing inherently wrong with images of people having sex. But I do think we need to start having conversations about the kind of porn that people are getting exposed to, mm -hmm. particularly since 95% of it is insulting, derogatory, violent towards women. There's also a lot of issues around sex trafficking and just the fact that the way actresses are treated and, and all the problems with that. But just the fact that our children, our, you know, teenagers and young kids are more and more exposed to these things and don't have any, don't have any understanding that what they're seeing in pornography might not be what healthy intimacy looks like, mm -hmm. um, means that we need to ha start having these conversations more. Mm -hmm. And that shame spiral can lead to other addictions or suicides or you name it, right? Because mm -hmm. they don't want to admit it or reach out for help. I heard somewhere, I don't know exactly where I heard this, but that sex addiction has one of the highest rates of suicide. And because of the shame attached to it and, yeah. and not wanting to talk about it. And so when you reached out to me, like I have a discovery call with all of my guests now, but I, yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah. Addiction is an addiction that needs to be talked about and it needs to be like let out of the closet and just let's, let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the only way that people can get comfortable with talking about the hard things. It doesn't need to be, you know, derogatory or like there's, there's stuff that in dealing with, um, drugs and alcohol that are not nice to see or to think mm -hmm. about. Right. So what's the difference? What yeah. is the difference? Like, you don't want to see your loved one out on a corner shooting up. You don't want to see that mm -hmm. just like you don't want to see the other stuff too. Right. So it, we just need to talk about it and yeah. be real about it and know yeah. that there are, I just keep saying it. They're, they're real people <laughs> that are dealing with this stuff and, and we need to have more compassion for the people that are going through it. And yeah don't know how to reach out. Yeah. So where can these people reach out? Like where, what have you found and what have you started to help these people? Yeah. Well, I first just want to go back to something that you said, which is to really, to understand that addicts are, are people, you know, people who are struggling with addiction, there used to be so much, you know, condescension of people with addiction. And what we realize now is we are all one step away from being in their shoes. You know, if we had been born in different circumstance, 
with a different childhood and not the right support or resources or financial situation, anything, any one of us could be in a gutter shooting up heroin. Mm -hmm. And it's not that far away. And, you know, it's to, to realize that people are doing their best and that there are forces at work in terms of our society that pushes people into addictive spirals. You know, especially looking at the porn industry, it is a you know billion dollar industry mm -hmm. that is making money off of getting people addicted to pornography. Just um, like pharma is for yeah. addiction, right? Like yeah, where yeah. there's money and lots of money involved, they're just, just going to keep feeding it. Right. So the way that you counteract that is just keep talking about it and just yeah. keep on lifting the veil of shame and just saying, we're going to keep talking about it so that you can't keep making money yeah. off of us. Yeah. Right. So, which also, I mean, the, there's another topic kind of related topic here, which is social media addiction. And it's, mm -hmm. again, it's, it's a money thing. You know, mm -hmm. there's industries that are, you know, they make money off of hooking people's attention and it's, there are consequences to that. So anyways, to get back to your question of like, where can people go, you know, for support? There's some stuff that I've created, you know, I do coaching for men around this issue and mm -hmm. provide a safe, you know, judgment-free space. I think the fact that I've been through porn addiction myself and know what it's like already creates that safe container. Um, I have some online resources, some online courses. Men's groups are also a great place uh, so you can almost always find a men's group in your area. Um, and that's usually, you know, you'll have to do some research and find one that feels good, but finding a place where you can talk to other men about some of these issues that you're struggling with is a great place to start therapy. Also, you know, I guess the, what I would boil it down to is find someone who you feel safe enough to open up to about it. That first one is always the hardest. The first person you tell is always the most difficult. Once you get that first person, then you can open up to a second person. Then you can open up to a third person. And you you start opening up to so many people about it. And you each time you're like, oh, they didn't call me a monster. They didn't call the police. They didn't run away screaming. They just looked at me with kind eyes and said, wow, you know, that must be tough. And so finding people you can feel safe with and feel supported by is really important. And then the second part of that, there's support and then there's accountability. And this is especially what I do in the coaching work is having that accountability, which is a little bit of tough love. You know, it's like finding people that will hold you to your highest standard because our friends sometimes can, can be good listeners and they can help us let go of the shame, but it doesn't necessarily help us with the accountability of really sticking to changing the way we're living. So I would say those two are really important. How do you, how do you look at accountability with porn addiction? Like what, what kind of steps do you take there? Yeah. Accountability, the best, the longest lasting form of accountability is when you learn how to be accountable to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, when you learn how to say, this is something I need to do. How can I hold myself accountable? But in the beginning, it's helpful to have somebody who's checking in with you on a regular basis. You know, for, for example, I'm a firm strong believer that when it comes to porn addiction, having some sort of detox period, whether it's 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, but a period where you're really abstaining from watching it altogether. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that that is the long-term solution that you can never look at it for a single moment, but in the beginning, 
having that detox period is important. And in those first 30 days or 60 days, it's really helpful to have someone who's just checking in with you and saying, how are you doing? Did you fall off the wagon? Do you need to get started again? Um, and so that's usually how it works with me and the clients I work with is we, it might not be right away, but at some point we say, okay, now we're going to do a 30 day detox. And almost always that 30 days then turns into 60, 60 turns into 90, but just having that regular check-in where, you know, somebody is going to say, how are you doing on that? Mm -hmm. How are you doing on that thing you said you wanted to do? I completely understand that too, in terms of back to social media, because in February of this year, I knew that my social media scrolling was just out of control. And mm. so I made the decision that I was going to take a full month off and just leave social media. And same thing, I had to have that accountability. So the first thing that I did is I made a plan of, okay, what am I going to replace it with? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I made a list of books that I wanted to read that I've been wanting to read for a long time because I'm a reader and, and just actually take the time now because I'm not going to be doom scrolling and just mm -hmm. read these books. Right. Yeah. I think I read no word of a lie, six books in February, six uh -huh. or seven, like I'm a speed reader. So normally I can read a lot faster than that, but I actually took the time and enjoyed these books because I knew <laughs> I had the month. But I also had um, a friend of mine who's one of my coaches check in with me too. And she would yeah. send me uh, DMs and say, how's it going? How's it going today? And yeah. for the first four days, like it was like I was coming off of something. I was just like, yeah. oh my God, the app is not there. <laughs> yeah. What is this person doing? What is that person doing? Oh my God. You know? Yeah. And, but after the first week, I was like, this is freeing. This is so freeing. And so I actually have an intention of doing another full month mm -hmm. this year as well and try to go like to two to three per year. I find it just releases you from, from something, you know what I mean? Yeah. That you're, you're trying to search for something mm -hmm. or see what other people are doing and in that comparison thing. Right. And when you have no idea what they're doing, it's like, oh, okay, I can just worry about myself. This is cool. Yeah. So I get it. I get the accountability for this as well. Like just having somebody reach out and say, how's it going today? How yeah. are you doing? Right. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely critical. Um, I have a question about back to the signs. What are signs that somebody is, has a porn addiction or is starting to have one? Yeah. Well, the easiest sign to tell is if you've felt like breaking free, like if you've tried to stop watching and you can't, you know, that's a great sign is if you want to quit because you see the negative consequences it's mm -hmm. having and you just can't. So that's a, a great sign. Um, what about other a ways... loved one or something? Like if, what if you're a loved one of somebody and you suspect that there is a porn addiction going on, what is a sign for them? Mm, yeah. Um, so erectile dysfunctions of different sorts are definitely a way some signals that there are physiological based erectile dysfunctions that don't have to do with porn addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, but a, a lot of erectile dysfunction does come from porn addiction, whether it is 
premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation is also an issue where essentially people can't orgasm because they're used to such a high stimulus and such a high, you know, overloading of stimulus. So those could be signals. You know, it's, it's interesting. This is one of the reasons why porn addiction is so kind of challenging to work with because the connection between the consequences and the addiction itself are so hard to see because they're so subtle. So things like irritability, depression, lack of joy, lack of contentment, those are some of the signs of people struggling with porn addiction. Now, obviously those could come from a whole host of other things, mm-hmm. right? Depression, anxiety, irritability can come from a lack of sleep. Yeah. Um, but those are some of the signs. The other problem with porn addiction, it's one of these addictions that's so easy to hide from other people. You know, if you're an alcoholic, it's very hard to hide it. If you are, you know, a heroin addict, again, these things can be very hard to hide. Yeah. Porn addiction, very easy to hide because it's anonymous. You can do it almost anywhere. Um, it's freely accessible. So it doesn't cost a lot of money. So it's not like you're some people, you know, there are forms of porn addiction and sex addiction where you are spending money. Um, but for most of the time, it really is a personal discovery where you realize, Oh, I have an issue with this though. I would say, you know, it's if, if there are issues in the sex life of a relationship, a lot of times, you know, it will be related to porn addiction, not always, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's a a surefire signal. Mm -hmm. Um, because of what you were saying earlier in the comparison. Yeah. You know, imagine if you're watching porn every night for 10 years and every time you log on, you're searching for a very specific niche subject, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you start to associate arousal with. And then normal sex, you know, with a person doesn't do it for you anymore because you're so disassociated from that all you associate your sexuality with is what you're seeing on the screen and usually in these very extreme you know can be there's all sorts of extreme stuff there's you know rape porn incest you know all these things that people get into uh and then when they try to go back to just normal vanilla porn or vanilla sex Mm -hmm. then it just doesn't work for them you know, another, here's another way people can sense, again, this, a partner couldn't sense this, but a person could is a lot of people who are addicted to porn in order to orgasm when they're having sex, they'll need to close their eyes and think of porn that they watched while they're having sex. So instead of being able to orgasm just from the sex with their partner, they have to close their eyes and just imagine porn that they watched in order to, to orgasm. So again, that's another way that an individual could tell. Again, it's hard for a partner to always tell. Mm-hmm. But these are the reasons that having conversations are so important. Yeah. Is that for a lot of time, a partner won't know. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, so what was your, because you said it took six years, right? Before yeah. you started talking about after you had released yourself from this. And, yeah. but um, what was your family and friends reaction to you telling them about this and, and now what's their reaction to you talking more about it? Yeah. So I think my, you know, it took me six years where I could start to open up to people I felt safe with, you know, close friends, uh, a therapist. And then I guess it was, it must've been 
almost 13 years after my recovery before I started going public with it and really, you know, going on social media and talking about it. And it's a mix of reactions. You know, some people in my life were incredibly supportive and saw the value in me talking about it publicly and said, you know, this is such important, such an important topic. I'm so happy you're opening up and talking about this. I think the world needs more of these conversations. And there were other members of my family that found it much harder to deal with, you know, because it is a sensitive topic and having someone talk about, you know, sex and pornography and masturbation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for example, I have a, a twin sister and it was tough for her to see me talking about these things. I think in part, she just didn't want to hear her brother talking about things like masturbation and sex Mm -hmm. and pornography. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also a lot of, you know, I got a lot of pushback in some areas from, it's just, it's kind of hard sometimes to talk about sexuality and what is healthy or unhealthy um, because people can misinterpret it and think that you're shaming sexuality or that you're trying to say something is sinful or, you know, so I got a lot of pushback from um, more from the left, like more liberal side of uh, like women saying, Oh, you shouldn't tell people what they can or can't do. Sexuality is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was, in my opinion, a misinterpretation Mm -hmm. that I'm not saying you can't watch porn or sex is bad. I'm saying addiction is bad. Right. And if you're struggling with addiction, you know, you know, wake up to that and learn how to break free. Um, But it's just, it's such a triggering topic, such a sensitive topic Mm -hmm. that it can cause a lot of issues. And so for for some of the members of my family, it really did. Um, My sister and I had a really tough time and ended up not speaking to each other for a few months because of, you know, kind of some back and forth that happened and things that she said that I was really upset about, about the work I was doing. So yeah, it, it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I have another question about, so about women and pornography mm-hmm. addiction, have you seen that that is prevalent as well, or is it more so on, for men? It's definitely more so for men, but it is also common in women. It's, you know, there's a number of reasons why women can get addicted to it. men. We know men have a stronger sex drive for the most part. There are 100% women out there who have stronger sex drives than some men. Some men have low sex drives, mm-hmm. but in general, you know, men are more sexually charged. And so the porn that's out there really taps into that uh, primal sexual system of the male physiology. And so it is more common in men, but we also see it in women mm-hmm. and, and it takes different forms uh, sometimes, but it's definitely still there. It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you if they are struggling with porn addiction and, and where they can reach out and, and just connect with you or with people that you're working with so that they can release some of the shame and feel I don't know, just feel more peace. Where can they find yeah. you? Yeah. So you can always connect with me on Instagram, uh, Jeremy Lipkowitz, or at my website, jeremylipkowitz.com. If you're interested in, in coaching, you can sign up for a discovery call. 
Uh, and then I'll also be launching fairly soon a group coaching program. Um, so if one-on-one -on -one doesn't work for you, you know, there's a, a more accessible way to get it in a group setting. So I'll be launching that in the next few months. Excellent. I really encourage whoever is needing somebody to talk to. Jeremy is your guy because he's been there. He's yeah. been there, right? Before we close out, what is one thing, one thing that you want people to know about porn addiction? Oh, man. Well, let me first say the one thing that I want people who are struggling with porn addiction to know, and that is just that you're not broken. You know, I think that's the main message I have is to let people know they're not alone. They're not broken. Uh, and healing is possible, you know, to really understand and to know that you can change the way you live by getting support, taking action. And so just to know that there's hope, you know, for you. Mm -hmm. And then for everyone else, people who aren't addicted to porn, we need to be normalize these conversations of, of talking about these things candidly and openly and honestly, because the more we sweep it under the rug, you know, you said earlier, like, sometimes things with addiction are icky and we don't want to look at them or talk about them because it's uncomfortable. But if we don't look at it and we don't talk about it, it's going to fester and it's just going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And so we need to have the courage to have these conversations, to talk about these things with our partners and our family and our loved ones and our friends. And yeah, it's, it's not something we can ignore because it's only going to get worse the more connected we become to phones and social media. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I end every interview with something I am grateful for. And then I ask you what you're grateful mm. for. And just to bring it back around to the beautiful parts of our hard, beautiful journey, right? And so for me today, I am grateful. Honestly, I'm grateful. You said the word courage and I'm grateful that I was given courage to just have these conversations and, and not be afraid to have them because we mm. need to have them to break stigmas. And we need to, um, just give people that, that freedom to say what, what they're really struggling with every day. Yeah. What are you grateful for? Can I say two things? You can say as many as you want. <laughs> I'm really grateful for the climbing gym that I live nearby because I just got back from the climbing gym and it just, it does so, this is the other thing I try to tell the people in recovery is exercise is so foundational. Mm -hmm. Like if there's one thing you want to do aside from getting accountability is start moving your body, you know, moving the body, getting exercise. So I'm really grateful that I have this climbing gym because it's a source of social life for me. It's a source of moving my body and staying fit. I'm also grateful for the mistakes that I've made in life because they've shown me a better way to live. And that's very hard to realize in the dark moments when you're at rock bottom. Mm -hmm. But when those rock bottom moments kind of teach you what's really important and how you're not living in alignment with your truth and your values. Um, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. So I'm really grateful for my, my mistakes and, and the things I've done in the past that I'm not so proud of. I love that. I couldn't agree more. I'm 
so grateful for the mistakes that I've made and, and just all of the hard because um, in the moment mm. it sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to lie. It just sucks. But afterwards, when you look back, you're like, oh, okay, I yeah. see why I needed to go through that because yeah. now it's helping me here. Right. So yeah. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for you having the courage all of those years ago and even today and and when you go on other podcasts and and just share your story it's so important that you're doing this and so i'm just truly grateful thank you again for being on my show yeah it's a pleasure thank you jeremy for being on this episode of the podcast and being open and real about the hard beautiful journey that you've had with porn addiction today You have given many people the comfort to know that they are not alone, that they're not broken, and that they too can hopefully speak their truth and reach out for support. Please see the show notes for more information on where you can find Jeremy. I want to remind all of my listeners that I also have a private Facebook group called Finding Hope Through Your Siblings Addiction. I would love if you would let anyone know that is dealing with this, that there is a place of support for them as well. And I would love for you to join. This hard, beautiful journey is much easier with someone to walk it with. We weren't meant to do any of this alone. Again, the name is finding hope through your siblings addiction. Thank you again for being here and listening. It truly means so much to me that you take the time to listen until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.